Thank you, Miss Gretchen. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. Give me a second to get set up here. I told you guys a secret last week. I told you whenever I have to get out of stool, the sermon's probably going to be a doozy. So I apologize in advance. Uh, <laughs> we have been in a sermon series called American Idols, and we've been looking at different idols that are in our lives. And uh, when I originally planned this one out, and I was going through talking through our, our leadership and our uh, staff about the different things we're going to talk about, I said, we're going to talk about money, and we're going to talk about gender identity and sexuality. Uh, and then I said, we're going to talk about family. And that was the one that actually got people the most like, oh, oh boy. Uh, so we're going to pray, uh, and we're going to dive into God's word, and we're going to see uh, what God has to say about family, what God has to say about idols. Uh, and where we go from here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have a plan. Heavenly Father, Lord, you specialize in messy families. And we give you thanks for that because each of us, myself at the front of the line, are a part of messy families, Lord. And I just pray that as you uh, speak, Lord, it's, it's your spirit, Lord, that your story, your narrative, uh, your truth, uh, Lord, covers each of us. Uh, it meets us where we're at, uh, which is all unique space with unique backgrounds. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we're going to do a little bit of work before we get into the why this is an idol. And the first piece of work is when you read through scripture, what you see is the literal first gift God gives mankind is family comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and following. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God blessed them and said, and literally the first things he tells us is, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the birds and the sea and the sky and every living creature, be fruitful and multiply. The first thing God does for humanity is give us community in family, right? Adam and Eve, husband and wife, they come together, they are going to appropriate, and we are going to have these little us that run around, right? These little families, these little communities that we care for and we love. The literal first gift God gives us is for us not to have to be by ourselves, but by instead to be able to, to be in relationship uniquely, with this, with this group that he is going to put around us. The first thing that God gives us is family. And then when we see throughout Scripture, and this is Old Testament and New Testament, God has a plan for our family. So if you read through Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church, and he kind of goes through all of his doctrine first, and then he gets to the practical stuff. And he says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life here on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Old Testament, New Testament, pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. What we see in Scripture is that family is going to take up most of the bandwidth in all of our lives, and God designed it that way. You are going to spend more time thinking about your family than you are probably anyone else. 
You're going to invest more money, more time, more emotion into your family than anyone else. That's how God created the world. That the, the people who literally either born us or we born or were a brother or a sister or even our found families, right? These people that we care about, we are designed in community to have them take up most of our bandwidth. They are the greatest gift that God gives us. But what we see throughout all of this American Idol series is the greater the gift, the greater the opportunity for us to turn it into an idol or a little G God. We started off the sermon series looking at um, idolatry, looking at the first commandment. And we, and we had a definition that we've been working with this whole time. Anything other than God seen as the source of our security, the source of our significance, or the source of our satisfaction. And our running joke has been, we hope you find some satisfaction in your family, right? Husbands, wives, I hope there's something good is happening there sometimes, right? I hope you as children or you as parents offer some form of security to your family, some sort of significance to you. These are good things, right? And when they're not there, when there's nothing there, that's a good chance there's problems that are going on in and with and under. But the, but the key word here is seen as the source, turning the gift into the God, right? Realizing that family is given to us by God, and so it's a secondary source, right? A good source, but a secondary source compared to who our God is and what our God is doing. And some of you may be thinking, well, I don't know if family qualifies as that. And there's a question that Jacob asked his first week. And I modified the question a little bit, but it's this. What in your life, if you lost it, would threaten your sense of security, significance, and satisfaction? If your family were to be threatened, would it threaten your security, your satisfaction, and your significance? And the answer for all of us is yes, right? And that doesn't necessarily make it bad, right? But it, but it gets at the heart of what's going on when we think about our families, right? That we can create these, we can turn them into idols, we can turn the gift into a god, and, and then things get messed up really quickly. And that's why Jesus says these things like we, we just read, right? I want to reread this because this, again, at first glance, looks like it doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture, where in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and following, as they were walking around a road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds good, right? Hey, I want to be one of your disciples. And Jesus responds, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his hand. Right? So following me, there's going to be a cost, and it's not necessarily going to be comfortable. You're not going to have a home, Jesus says. He said to another man, well, you come follow me. But he said, first let me go and bury my father. This seems like a reasonable request, right? Like, hey, my dad passed away. Let me get done with the funeral, and then, then I'm all in. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. That is not very compassionate. Let the dead bury their dead? Whoo! What's going on here? But you will go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. This is not like the lovey Jesus, right? This is not like the compassionate Jesus that we sometimes think about, right? Where we're like, oh, in kids' ministry, and like the really happy colors, right? And the nice little Bible book. This is Jesus saying some pretty hard things. Wait, why why do I have to leave my family? What's going on here? And again, if this is all we had in Scripture, was Jesus saying this about family, then we're all doing family wrong, right? But that's not all that Scripture says. In fact, as we just read in Ephesians, no, our primary call is to our family. Our primary responsibility is to our family. But what Jesus is getting at here is he realized there is a danger, when we don't put him at the center of our lives and how we see our lives. He realizes there is a, there's a danger that happens when instead of building our worldview and our understanding and our security and our significance and our satisfaction on him, when we start to put it into the source as our family, things get out of line really quick. And so Jesus says, you can't have it both ways. It's not going to work. The book of Colossians puts it this way, verses, or chapter 2, verses uh, 6 through 8. Let me just flip over there real quick. All of them bookmarked except this one. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built it up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And see to it that no one takes you captive through howl deception or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. He says, y'all, build your life on Jesus, nothing else. Build your life on, on, the, on the teachings of Scripture, on the biblical narrative, not on any other narratives. Because here's the deal. Every other idol in your life has a narrative. It has a story that it's going to tell you. Right? And sometimes the story is really simple. Right? So if the idol in your life is money, the story is more money good, less money bad right? Simple story. Get as much of it as you can, because that will provide you the security you need, the significance you need, the, the, the satisfaction you need, right? And if you don't have it, then you're threatened, then, then, then you're shaken. Some narratives are, are more complex, though, and we're going to see everything, either through the eyes and especially with family. And y'all, this, we are a church of families, right? That, that is our 1A thing. It's why I love you guys, we have parents who love their kids and want to raise them up, right? We have spouses who are trying to make it work, right? Like, we're all messes. We're all hot messes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we are a church of families. But the reality is we will either see our families through the eyes of God or we will see God through the eyes of our families because we're either going to live out a biblical narrative or a family narrative, and one of these is going to be precedent over the other. Always. And so if our family narrative is precedent, none of us have kids. None of us get married and think, wow. You know what? The narrative of this marriage is we are just going to go at it. 
every single day. We're going to be mean and spiteful and unforgiving, and we're going to argue about things that we really don't need to argue about, right? None of us start off that way. None of us create a narrative for our family with our spouses and saying, wow, you know what? We are going to be hot messes and spicy disasters, and we're going to live that out, right? We don't do that, but, but somehow we get there, right? We don't look at our kids, right, and say, wow, little Johnny, man, you are great at math, so you're going to be an engineer, and little Sarah, you're great at science, so how about you be a biologist or, or a doctor, right? We, we create these narratives, of where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to look like, what the Instagram photo of our family vacation is going to look like. And, and then life happens, and things get sideways, right? And when that happens, there's, there's a picture where we go one of two ways. We either try to control things, which leads us to hubris, pride, saying, I can control all the variables in my family. And y'all, we can't. None of us can. There are too many variables that are out there. They are complex situations. Jeremy Wilkin, wherever you are, not complicated situations. And so if we try to control them, we end up with hubris. Or if we have concern but little control, if we can't fix it, if they get sick, if, if it's too messy, our anxiety goes up. Anxiousness starts to grab our heart, right? High concern, low control, higher control, hubris. But either way, it leads to the same thing, y'all. It leads to despair. Because eventually what we realize is the family narratives that we put in our hearts, the family narratives that we tell ourselves, that we plan together as spouses, if it's based off of our control and our concern, it will just lead us to despair. Because we're all in broken spaces, right? That's the story that we find ourselves in. And what we have in Scripture, we have in the promises of Scripture, is God saying, no, I don't want you to have to live in despair. I have something better for you. I have something better for y'all, Acts Church Leander, individual households and households together. And so the graph then moves... And it looks this way, that in the biblical narrative, we actually believe God is in control of everything and he has a plan, right? That God's not caught off guard when something goes wrong, that he has a plan and his control is ultimate. And the biblical narrative said that God cares about your family, your brother, your sister, your husband, your kid, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your found family, whoever they are, that he cares more about them than you do. So not only does he care more about them, not only does he know every hair on their head, but he has the power. And the more we grow in that narrative, all of a sudden we move from despair to hope. All of a sudden we move from, oh, good God, literally this is beyond my ability to fix it, to I have hope in a God who specializes in broken things. Moving, moving from hope to despair. Moving from despair to hope. Other way is not good. This is what Isaiah 40 says. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I love this. I love the imagery of this, of a shepherd. 
All right, here again. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. There is promise there, Acts Church Leander, that the good shepherd who has ultimate control and ultimate concern is actually on your family's side, that he cares, and he can fix things, and he's going to carry them. It's funny. Sometimes I say things in sermons I don't realize the effect they have until later. A couple years ago, I literally just put on a sermon slide, care, don't carry. And I, I said it, moved on, and I got a call a couple weeks later, and it's like, that, that literal phrase had been running through my head. I was like, oh, God is bigger than me. That's a good thing, right? But, but we're called to care for our family, but we're not called to carry them. And this is huge, y'all, because things are going to happen or are happening in your family right now that are beyond your strength to fix. And you'll either try to control it or you'll allow your anxiety to rule you. And either way, it leads to the same path. But the good news of the God that we have is while we're not very good at carrying our family, he is. And we have responsibility. We have opportunity to lean in. But ultimately, he's the one who's taking care of them. Ultimately, the good shepherd loves your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, whatever relationship that is, more than you do. And we see that in the biblical narrative. We, we see that in the story of creation, the story of God, and why he created us in the first place. And we see that his story specializes in broken people, which is good. Because I know most of y'all. I know most of your families. And they're all kinds of broken. Mine's all kinds of broken. And the good news is his story, his narrative, supersedes that and accounts for that. And his story includes security, satisfaction, and significance. One of my favorite sections of scripture is Psalm 18. And Psalm 18 is a story of David really having a rough day. Psalm 18, David is literally running from his life from King Saul, who wants to kill him for doing nothing other than following God. So he's living in a cave. Things are not, this is not David's best life at the moment, right? He's literally living in a cave. Saul shows up, ends up getting drunk, and falls asleep in the cave with David, right? And his entire army is out there. This is not a good story, right? This is not something happy. And God delivers David from this. And he writes a psalm in response. He writes a song of thanksgiving in response. And he ends the psalm by saying these words, verses 16 and following me. The Lord reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. You see, they confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David writes a psalm and says, y'all, there is security in our God. That yes, the world is broken. Yes, the world is messy. Yes, we may take some shots. But we have a God who reaches down from, I love how he says that. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. You ever feel like you're just being swept away? Right? 
a relationship in your life or where a job's breaking down or something else is going, right? And you're just like, I am in the hurricane. And David writes the psalm and says, and God to reach down and he pulled me out of that. Because if we want real security, if we want real security for our families, it's found in the biblical narrative, not our family's narrative. It's found in the biblical story of a God who went to rather extreme lengths to have a relationship with us that would literally die on a cross for us and saying, I can trust that God for good things. I I can trust in that God to be for me and for my family and put the hope of our security in him. We find security in our God. We find satisfaction in our God just with a group of church workers this week, and and they read us this verse, take uh, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Now, Now, sometimes those desires need to be realigned with him, right? So it's not, this isn't the genie in the bottle, right? This isn't, all right, God, desire of my heart, want that Lamborghini, right? Want, Want that new Jeep Wrangler, whatever it is, right? It's, it's not a genie in the bottle. It's not the cosmic vending machine. But you have a father in heaven. We have a father in heaven. Your family has a father in heaven. That, that as we learn to be in relationship with him, our hearts are going to actually be in tune with what they were built for. And he wants to give you those desires. He wants to give you life and life to the full or life abundantly, as Jesus said. I have come that you may have life, he says. Okay, not, not that it's going to be this smooth sailing narrative that, hey, everything's going to, no, there's, there's going to be some rough, rough choppy ground. But that doesn't negate the promise that if we're looking for real satisfaction, we're not going to find it in our quote-unquote family's narrative. I'm going to design the perfect life for my child. I, I, will, I will create the perfect spaces, and I will give them the perfect opportunities, and the perfect teachers, and then you meet your child, and you're like, why is this all going sideways? Because if it's our power, if it's our narrative, if it's our control, if it's our concern, we're, we're already going in the wrong direction. And it ultimately just leads us to despair. This was our verse from last uh, week. It's our anchor verse for the month. But you want significance. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You want to give your kids significance? You want to have significance? You want your family to have significance? Y'all were designed by God. The creator of the universe, he created every cool thing you've ever seen. He uniquely designed each of you. Each of us. And, And there is significance there. The story of scripture, the biblical narrative that we carry to the image of God inside each of us. I've been uh, listening to John Mark McMillan, and he's got a song. It says, save me from the mundane of life. Help me see the reflection of God in every person. That, that, that in our families, we get to draw that out of them. That we can see the reflection of God. That, that we can see the heart of who our God is in each other. And that we can instill that narrative, that that truth in our kids as we walk together. Biblical narrative versus our own personal family narratives. And this is, this is why I need the chair. (laughs) All right. 
That's all great. Good job, Josh. That sounds happy. Sign me up for that. And then one of our family members ends up in addiction. Or someone dies. Or someone hurts one of our family members. Or, or our family members hurt someone else. Right, right, the, the mess of life. The mess of just broken people making broken choices because hurt people hurt people. Right? And every single person in this room, every single person on this live stream, we all, we all have scars. We've all lost loved ones. Right? What does that look like? What do we do then? And this is actually where it's critical to have the biblical narrative versus our family narrative. Because this is what we're going to teach our kids. See, the real reason why family is an idol or can so easily become an idol is because our kids, our family, our friends, they see us living out these narratives, right? And if we teach them, if we're teaching them, hey, I can control all the variables, my concern is the narrative that's going to take care of everything, they're going to do that. They're going to learn that. And then life's going to happen. And that narrative's not going to work. Right? We're going to leave them unprepared. If we have competing narratives in their life, and y'all, we all, we all have dreams, right? We, we, we want to join the football team so we practice. We want to go to college so we study and we apply. Having plans, having dreams, having wants and desires isn't the issue here, right? All of us have them. All of our families have them. All of you as parents, all of you as children, we all have these narratives, and that, that's okay. But when we make that narrative the source of where our security is going to be, when we make that narrative the source of where our satisfaction is going to be, where we make that narrative the source of our significance, we're not just setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting them up for failure as opposed to saying, no, there is a biblical story. There is this biblical narrative that begins in Genesis that we know the ending of, and that's the real trick, y'all. Because the, the hurricane sometimes is going to sweep us away. It's going to sweep our loved ones away, and we're going to have a lot of questions and a lot of darkness. And the biblical narrative has responses to that. It has promises in that. And it doesn't always give us the solution. It doesn't always tell us how the story is going to end. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you, but this is why this person died, or this is why this person made a choice, or this is why this person was hurt. I, I don't have the answers to that, but we talked about this last week. The good news of the gospel is Jesus says, I am the truth. The gospel of John starts off by Jesus came full of grace and truth, and so it's not a set of propositions. It's not a set of answers we have. Instead, it is a relationship with the God of the universe who walks with us and promises to make all things right, who says, I already know the end of the story. In that broken relationship you have, that person you're not so sure of, the good news is he cares about them more than you do. The good news is he's more powerful than they, he, he's more powerful than you are. And so he has the control, he has the power, he has the care, and so we can entrust them, we can entrust the broken relationships with him. 
that we still, as sons and daughters, have responsibility. As we still, as parents, as spouses, all of that is true, y'all. Right? We're, we're called to love one another. We're called to take care of one another. We're, we're called to create and try to help set up environments that are going to help people thrive. All of that is true, but that is a sub-narrative, that is a sub-responsibility of God's responsibility. And the good news of the biblical narrative, the good news of the story of God is that your family's success does not rest on you. It doesn't rest on me. You see, God is way better at his job than we are as our job as kids or spouses or parents. And that's good. And we get to learn from him, and we have a truth in Christ that we can engage with, and we can ask questions to, and we can cry to, and we can cling to, and then we model that to our families. So that when the hurricanes of life hit them, it's the biblical narrative that's holding them up. It's the biblical narrative that's giving them God's hope. That even when we don't feel it, it's true, right? Sometimes I don't feel like I'm living in the biblical narrative, y'all. But it's true. And it holds on to me even when I'm not holding on to it. And there's hope there and there's power there for you and for your kids. As Peter said, and for all the Lord our God will call every family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. A bunch of broken, weird, strange, beautiful messes with a bunch of broken, strange, beautiful mess, parents and kids and cousins and uncles and friends. And Lord, we confess that so often we allow our own narrative to run, to run our life, to dictate if we're happy, to dictate if we're confident, to dictate if we're in control. And yet, Father, Lord, that is sin. As it doesn't set us up for success. It doesn't set our families up for success. But Lord, the good news is that you came down to a bunch of broken, beautiful messes. And you said, come follow me. I want to invite you into God's story for you and for the world. Lord God, so we are bold to confess. We are bold to seek you because we know we are again invited into your story. Lord, and I pray that as we as a church continue to walk together, Lord, that we better tell that story to our families to give them a foundation of truth and strength, to give them a foundation of you. And then we pray. Amen.